The Recruitment Mentors community is now completely open for you to join. It's the meeting point for recruitment professionals who want to take their development and growth into their own hands. Whether you're starting out your career or five years into it, our mission is to empower you to accelerate your development with the most successful, collective, current and responsive teachings from outside of your four walls. You can now join the community for just £39 per month by going directly to our website at recruitmentmentors.com. That's recruitmentmentors.com. Your new mentors are waiting to meet you. Welcome to the Recruitment Mentors podcast. My name is Hisham Azuz. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Daniel Cox, who until very recently was a director at Console Partners. Dan joins Console Partners as a trainee consultant and within 10 years progressed through the ranks, working as a principal, head of division, until he left Console Partners, was the director of communications. When Dan joined the business, it was a progressive startup. And by the, t- by the time he left, he'd been part of the incredible growth journey that led the company to get acquired by Empresario Group in 2017. Dan, thanks for coming on the podcast. No worries, Hisham. Good to be on. So, where we always like to start, in your opinion, what characteristics and traits do you think make up a highly successful recruitment consultant? I suppose that's the, the magic, the magic question, isn't it? You know, from that side. So, um, I think the key characteristics that I see over the years is somebody having a why, and, and I know that may might sound a little bit different, but um, the job you know, it's fun. Like, don't get me wrong, but it's also very, very hard at times. You know, it's an emotional roller coaster. Um, and, you know, from my point of view, people have got to, you know, when you're getting up at, at seven in the morning or working till eight, nine o'clock at night and do and having to do weekend work, whatever it is to, to, to support your clients and candidates at times, um, when the chips are down, you've got to be able to fall back on something and understand what, what am I actually doing this for? You know, that's not it could be anything, you know, and, and from my side, I'll talk about my why in a little bit more detail later. But I think that's so, so important. You know, I see so many people that come into the business uh, and businesses that I speak to, to other leaders and they're like, I don't really know why they're joining recruitment, you know, and what, what do they want to achieve out of it? And I think that's really, really important um, from that side. So it doesn't have to be financial. It could be um, an array of things, but it's really important that firstly, um, outside of main characteristics that we can discuss, it is really understanding what your why is. You know, why am I doing it? Mm, uh, love that. And then, and then I suppose on on the other thing, you know, hardworking, um, determined, um, and focused on on hitting goals. You know, I think they're the key ones. But the key one for me is you know really understanding what 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 you're doing, why you're doing it. Yeah, love that. And and, and really quickly. Because I know we were talking a bit before this, and you said, yeah, yeah, literally had a couple of days after you graduated uni, and then um, joined, yeah, entered the recruitment industry. But yeah, I think people were interested about this. So very quickly, then, like, did your why change throughout your career? Uh, no, to, to be brutally honest, my my why was um, 
you know, I was broke, like from my side, like most students from that side, I was, you know, um, I was thinking of going back into the into the building trade before I took the interview at Console Partners. I was a scaffolder before I went to university, took a year out and done that and it was amazing. But I think the cold uh, the cold mornings definitely made me realise, right, what do I want to do, you know, and that's, that's really important. And um, that for me resonates really well in regards to what, what, what why is, you know, on the Friday, I, I finished university on the Friday and, um, you know, I got the nod a couple of week, weeks before in, in, in recruitment and they, and, and console. And they said, can you start on the Monday? And I was like, yeah, let's do it. Let's go for it. You know, I didn't overthink it. I think that, that it's just go for it. Um, I needed the money. Like I mentioned before, I was, uh, I was, I was in the red in, in like most students from that side. So I think, yeah, from my view, that was, that was, it was key. Yeah. Okay. So just very quickly then, could you describe the what the what console partners looked like when you joined? Yeah. Right, which was yeah, just just under ten years ago. Yeah. To and then just very quickly describe what it looked like by the time you left. And then I think that'll be great context for people to understand the journey it's been on. Then we'll we'll dig into the sort of early days and then talk about the rest of it. Yeah, absolutely. So walk through the doors, there was probably I think it was about sixteen people. Um, if that there was there was three main divisions at the time, sort of like content communications and, and digital. Um, Ryan Adams at the Signify CEO was uh, was there at the time, so great character. Um, you know, straight away gravitated towards his his um, his mindset, and um, it was literally focusing on um, small teams. You know, that was literally it. There was you know, like I said, sixteen, seventeen people there. My team that I joined, there was only two people. Like the, the the manager at the time and um, another guy that actually um, got me the interview at console. I saw I met him down the gym one night and he said, you know, we're hiring. Because uh, I said I was interviewing at another place, so um, yeah, so I had two interviews that day. So, but yeah, it's a very very small business. When I left the business uh, earlier this year, it was uh, eighty people, uh, global offices in the US, uh, two in the US and 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 one in in UK, London. Uh, the team size was around, I think it was around forty five people in in my division still. Um, and then in in the permanent side as well, very, very similar numbers. So yeah, it went through a crazy amount of growth in in a, a fairly short amount of time. Um, and I'll be grateful for that forever, you know, hit it, sort of starting a business, a fairly new, fresh startup business. Um, Mark and Graham and, and at the times that were, that were running the business, they they were very aggressive in, in where they wanted to go and they always had their vision. So, yeah, the vision never changed, but um, it was a lot smaller back then to where it is today. Yeah, I love that. I mean, one of, one of my first questions was because I think um, I, I don't know how many sort of other recruitment business owners that you've spoken to and stuff like that, but like I think a typical recruitment story or dream is that you build up a recruitment business and sell it right mm. and and like how how often does that actually happen i'm not actually sure from speaking mm. to people on on this podcast and things like that so i guess yeah. my first sort of question you were just touching on it was like why do you think sort of console partners were able to achieve what they did do you think from from your lens and looking at it from from your point of view great question i think Console always seemed to be one step ahead with the markets. So what I mean by that is that we, you know, uh, Mark at the time and, and Graham and, and the leadership team um, were always looking at like what was next, what was our clients, what was our customers focusing on in the next two years, not what they were already doing. It was like what's next, for example. So 
and they built their their business models around that. And I think that it was very effective very early on because clients, um, we would be talking to clients about technology that they were investing in, um, and we would be ready with with ready-made candidates, candidates that either upskilled themselves in that place. So I think markets were key. I think you know they they were very futuristic in in regards to focusing on what's next for the clients and customers. Um, the technology was was um, and still is today is, is is a great area, you know, and it's always going to be a, a need and a focus for clients and and, and candidates. So, um, you know, as we all know, with the tech space, um, there's it's just it's just crazy what's going on and what's being focused on and and how and the evolution of what's going on in the next few years. So yeah, so I think that's the key one: the markets, the people. You know, that was probably the, the best thing about the business uh, ever since. There were some amazing people that worked and still work at that business. Um, and from very early on, um, that bar was set very, very high. You know, I used to talk to um, friends in, in, in the industry and sort of talking to them about some of the numbers that um, we were doing and, and on as a business um, at a time, just a UK business. Not We didn't have US entities back then. Um and some of they were saying, blimey, we've, you know, we've got three offices and it's and we're not doing that, you know, and then also individual um, numbers, you know, were, were well above average, you know, average is anything between sort of my, my average is slightly higher. But I would say if you're doing sort of 150 a year, that seems to be fairly good in, in, in the market. You know, there was individuals in, in that market and, in, you know, from when I joined that were doing three times that, four times that, you know, with two years, three years experience. And that was because certain individuals had the right mindset. Um, it was a competitive um, working environment, but collaborative, which I think like, which is so important um, for culture. Um, yeah. And I think the people and the markets, I mean, there's nothing else. There's no magic answer apart from really those two. I think they, you know, the owner's done amazing to, to keep hold of um, some really good people. Yeah. So, so, so I've got two very quick questions on this and then I'm, I'm excited yeah. to dig into the sort of the period where you were just focusing on billing for that sort of four sure. or five year period. So, so the first one is, uh, people may be listening to this and sort of may want you to sort of share, I guess, a bit more context on, okay, Dan, re- really great point and interesting point around emerging markets or market like future being futuristic. So I guess my question to you on that was like, I don't know, one to three things that you think typically um, they looked for that would that would give them confidence that it was a market that they wanted to invest resources in. Do you get what I mean? I think that's what people would yeah. be interested in. So I don't know, anything that comes up for you on that? Yeah, of course. So, you know, one thing we were big on is, is like market intel. So understanding like where we were starting to see trends. So um, very early on, I was told to develop like, like you know, I've still got it, um, it today is basically like from 20 four or five years ago is like the market intel and looking at trends in that market intel so looking at like what candidates are talking about where maybe people are saying where where jobs are going to be what what's the focus um and also what your clients are saying you know what what is next for them what, where are they next investing um and then you'll start seeing a repetition you'll start seeing technology sort of start coming up and and, and from that side and just to keep it really simple is it's a natural progression, you know. 3G is now 4, 4, 5, uh, 5G now, you know, and that's what I mean. And, and looking at like those trends in, in those markets to, to understand really where you position yourself, um, I think that's really important. And then, um, looking at like the amount of leads, 
So like, I'm not talking about Intel. I'm talking about actual leads that are coming through candidates, clients, referrals, whatever it is that however, whatever your way of doing things is, everyone has a slightly different way of doing things, but um, looking at leads and, and, and really understanding what the market's saying. Um, and then you can make a real, real, I suppose, collective decision with your manager or whatever it is at the time that this and this, the market's telling me that this is going to be big. You know, this is a real focus. This is going to be a high skill demand. Um, and then you're not going into it really, you know, it's a finger in the in the air sort of thing. You've really got an understanding and you can have real conversations with new prospective clients, you know, and I think that's where that value add comes in. You can actually take that conversation to the next level rather than just saying, I've seen you're looking for X, I've got Y. It's that's, you know, yes, that's effective in some ways, but clients now are looking for, or even then, you know, nearly 10 years ago, they were looking for some something slightly different. And yeah, that's how I managed to to break some some interesting clients back then that, that um, you know, that helped me to, to, to move forward. Yeah, no, that's, that's great. And I think what I love about that is that for anyone listening, just it's just so important to have sort of holistic business conversations, right? And if you're asking good questions like, yeah, where do you see the market in the next couple of years? Or like just, just being curious and asking questions like that, you're, you're then not talking about recruitment. And yeah. if you have multiple conversations with people like that day in, day out, well, guess what? You're, you've got an amazing insight there where then when someone doesn't sort of doesn't speak about the same thing you can go well actually i've been speaking to these people and they're sort of thinking about this what do you think about that and all of a sudden as you said you're you're adding value in these things so great answer on that and then the final bit you were talking about the people part so just the final thing that i just wanted to ask you because i'm we're always interested is basically what what do you think were the like the three non-negotiables of the console culture um Apart from playing five aside, no, I'm joking. That was that we said about five aside team. No, um, non-negotiables. I think work ethic. Like if you if you wasn't a hard worker, um, you you would be shown up because, like any any agency, you you know um, there are objectives, and you know you share your successes at the end of the week. You know that that was that was a a, a massive thing for console. We would talk about all the successes and if there was anyone having a, ch- a challenge we'd talk about that as a business um, of course when we were a lot smaller and we'd all help each other out and give advice but work if it's key if you know you would be um you know definitely exposed it because everyone was was really focused and honing in on trying to trying to better their market better their self um, and trying to push to that common goal to, to to take the business to the next level so the first one's definitely work, work ethic um second one is being a good person I know, I know that sounds a bit cliche, but um, you've got to be a good person, right? You know, you've got to be approachable in, 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 in the face. You can't let success, you know, get go to your head a little bit. You know, the, the recruitment, I call it the recruitment gods. Like recruitment has a funny <laughs> way of bringing you back down to earth pretty quickly. Um, and if you lose track um, of really like what your why is, um, and what what, you know, what you're doing here, and also focusing on helping other people out as well, because you you were junior at one point, right? You know, you 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 were asking other people for help, and I remember this time when I was like, you know, four years in, or three years in, I think it was, and um, I missed director's lunch for the first time in in I don't know, 22 months or something like that. Because we used to do it every single month, and I went over and I missed director's lunch by 1,800 pounds, and uh, I went over and asked um, one of the directors at the time. I said like. 
can't believe I didn't hit. What could I have done to, to, to do better? You know, and that's not because I wanted to look good in front of the directors. It was really like I must be missing a trick here because I was doing something before that I'm not, I didn't do this month and it's affected my numbers, right? And it was like, I think I finished on, you know, after like I said, 20, 1500 pounds short. Some people would have been really happy with that and said, oh, you know what? I've, I've, I've still hit, well, I've achieved my target for the month. But that just wasn't, um, where I wanted to be. It's not why I joined recruitment. That wasn't what I wanted to do. You know, I didn't want to be average as such. And, and I'm not saying there's nothing wrong with that, but what I'm trying to say is my why is 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 about providing for my family, which is the number one priority, and, and being a good person in, in that stage. So I was combining all of that and and um, providing for my family or my or my uh, now wife, but girlfriend at the time, it was expensive case. I didn't want to take a step back. <laughs> just little things like that is that even at that time when things are still going well, just take a step back and think, well, what could I have done better? Because there's there's all there's always someone out there that is performing, doing better, doing more things, more innovative ideas, different ideas that can generate more business and better relationships. So yeah. Yeah, nice. Okay. Work ethic, big, big good Yeah, okay, nice. So let let's dig into this then. So just for context, Dan, for people listening. Yeah. So you've you've always been a contract recruiter. So for the first yeah, yeah four four to five years when you were just focused on billing before you went into a more leadership position, you was a contract recruiter. Um and I know you said it was market specific, but that with the markets that you did, that typically meant that what locations did you end up sort of doing business in just for context for people? Yeah, most of it was um sort of the Nordics and and sort of Germany and, and Belgium and, and Ireland. They were the main sort of sweet spots for for where projects were at that time um, in, in regards to sort of my focus areas. Cool. So let always interested to hear, I know you said yeah. the standards were high and there was people doing really well there, but how how would you describe sort of Dan's first year, early years in recruitment? Well funny you say that I I think I nearly got booted after the first four weeks. Uh, my manager at the time told me that. So it's, um, you know, I come in into the job um, with with lots of um, enthusiasm, um, a bit of a yes man, a bit of a, you know, naturally we all go through that. Your manager's giving you advice. Have you got that? Yeah, 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 yeah. All good. Yeah, I know what I'm doing. The first couple of weeks, I used to sit on the phone and like cower a little bit because I didn't want other people. I thought that people were listening to my phone calls. I don't know why, because nobody was, you know, it's like, you know, they've got their own stuff to be dealing with. But it was just I've never been in in that type of environment in an office before. So um, the first month I struggled. I didn't do my first resourcing deal for I think it was eight weeks or something like that. So um so yeah, and then after that, it just clicked. Like I kept going, I kept getting up. Bed. Now, earlier, I was in the in the office um, about quarter to eight, uh, half seven, quarter to eight most mornings because I work European time. So I knew that I'd normally catch candidates at, at an earlier stage rather than you know mid morning when they're normally in meetings. Um, when they were in the office at the time, when when things were normal. But um, yeah, and then um, from that stage, yeah. So then it just clicked and. And, and I suppose the answer was is I started to get a grasp on on what I was recruiting for. Um, I started picking up what is how to actually recruit, you know, getting effective with uh, Boolean searches and headhunting um, and really sort of starting to ramp up speaking to clients. So, um, so yeah, I used to drive my, my old manager mad at times um, because 
within like eight weeks, I was always, I always had quite a natural flair for for business development. Not that I knew it at the times, um, and that, don't say I wasn't good at it at first. But I just I was quite keen to get on with business development because I felt that that's where I needed to be, and the business needed that at that time, to be honest. And um, yeah, so then I moved into. I, I suppose a junior sales job or junior consultant job um, in about September time. So I, I had about ten weeks of, of recruiting um, my manager's jobs at the times, and then it was sort of right. You need we we'll go out and build a business now based on demand and where we see the markets going. Amazing. So let so let's just talk about that for a second because I was going to ask sure. you yeah, when did you then yeah go into more of a three sixty role. So. Look, I I was a um, permanent recruiter, but from from the contract recruiters that I've interviewed and, and met, obviously you still have to do the candidate work, and it's really important you know your network and spend time with them. However, sure. yeah, if you it's it you need to get the projects or you need to get the businesses and understand what they're hiring and all these types of things. It seems like yeah, if you can get if you can get very good at winning business, then you back yourself to 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 do the candidate part right but that's something you've always got to be constantly building in terms of your your candidate pools but it seems like the key is the the bd side and, and the client side if, if you're going to be really successful oh well I'd, I'd argue that now to be fair because the the, the way that the, everything's moving ahead um you know there's there's some really good 180 billers you know like sales and 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 candidates for example is like you know you need both sides you know you just it's part of the job isn't it yeah. you, know, you need both sides on that so at that particular time I had to go out and sell there wasn't really another option because we were building the business and this well we say we were building the division from fairly scratch there was there were buying customers but there wasn't really enough to focus on delivering at that point so it was more that I I was in a position that I wanted to do and also I, I really wanted to um to, to get out there and build a business for myself because it comes back to my why, you know, from that side. So I think there's a there's both aspects to it. I think I've met some incredible people that have um, a 180 model that um, are so much better than than certain salespeople at, at candidate relationships. And that's so prevalent now because um, those candidates will move into senior roles. You know, they will progress just like I did with console, just like you did. You naturally progress. So if you can build up good, tangible relationships early on and keep in touch with them, add value, try and find them newer positions, um, they're naturally at some point going to be in a hiring managing position, you know, and that's where that relationship piece is so key. Um, so, yeah, I would argue that, you know, it's, it's so both important to have that 360 element. Is if, you know, you can bring in jobs, but if you can't find the right candidates or you haven't got the good enough relationships, well, you're not going to do deals. You know, and that's the yeah, that's no, the no, sure. So, so no, yeah, yeah sure. No, I'm glad you said that. Yeah, de- definitely. Okay, cool. So, I guess, but but I'll be honest with you, where where, and it's something that I definitely struggled with early on. And what every time I speak to recruiters, that the most popular area that they want to develop and improve is client development. That that that's just like typically what the response won't be for everyone, but typically that's where a lot of recruiters want to improve. Yeah. Um, which is why I wanted to sort of ask you around your sort of client development journey, really. So I guess, like sure. you just said, you're building this from scratch. Like what, looking back, and, and maybe you can speak to recent times as well when working with your your team and people, but like mm. what what ended up being your most effective method of growing your client network? Um, delivering. You know, like I said, it's a 460. So, you know, most of my clients at that time um, 
were, were were either system integrators at the time, so they were winning part of the project from a vendor, an operator, and that side. So they they were they were you know from their side needed needed candidates quickly. But there was also a lot of people that were in that market in regards to what they were focusing on. But you had to have your product, and that is is candidates from that side. So you know my first deal, I remember it now was. Um, I rung this hiring manager up um, and, you know, great guy. I still speak to him um, today. And he said to me, listen, I've, I've got I've got an offer on a candidate. I lo- you know, I really appreciate your time. Um, but I'm going to get the offer out tomorrow. And, you know, I had four months experience, uh, probably my naivety at the times. But I said to him, right, why don't you just give me tonight? If I can find you someone that's better than you've got offered, um, at the moment, would you would you um, be open to reviewing that profile? And he said, if you can find me someone better than that, then I'll shake your hand because this guy that I've got at the moment is amazing. I didn't know what to do next. So I literally, five o'clock in the evening, um, I've, got, I've got on the, um, I, you know, I've reached out to my network and, and system and stuff like that. And uh, luck, luck be have it, this incredible um, candidate said to me, yeah, I am actually interested in looking, not sure on the location, um need some time to, to think about it so i said okay cool well do some research tonight sent him a load of bump i was in the office till, till late that night and then i gave him i said are you free for a call uh, in the morning first thing and he said yeah yeah no worries and uh he spoke to um his partner and said yeah listen let's go for this you know um, i'm looking to get into to more uh, into freelancing now contracting sent the profile over and the manager responded within two minutes saying i don't know how you've done that but i want to interview this guy he's got product knowledge that we haven't seen this other guy hasn't got it and they interviewed him that day and offered him that evening. <laughs> Just it was it was crazy. But that's again like having it was definitely naivety from my side, but also, you know, just asking the question. A lot of people just don't ask the question, you know, and 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 backing yourself a little bit. And um it might it might have uh, come back to, to bite me, but fortunately, um uh, the candidate I've placed numerous times throughout the year as, years as well, and he's, he's actually a good friend of mine now as well. So you know, it all works out in the end. But sometimes just ask the question on that side for sure. But yeah. So so building on that then, so you said sort of just delivering there and backing yourself. But like, I guess a big part um, of what recruiters need to do is is maintaining and sort of keeping a consistent pipeline. Yeah, so yeah. how how did you how did you continue to achieve that? I suppose, firstly, the obvious is bringing in business constantly. Like, you know, it was natural um, at that period. Like if I had, and uh, you know, knowing your ratios is, was key, knowing your numbers, what you need to do to hit X, you know, and why. And um, at any given time, I'd be juggling when I was 360, for example, between eight and 12 vacancies a week. You know, that was naturally. And um, that was accounts that I'd built up and, 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 Built relationship with and that was warm and that's also new new areas that i wanted to bring in new clients so consistently looking at your customer base and if you know reviewing that on a monthly basis if you've got a customer if you've only got one or two a customers and you've got a lot of c b or c customers what do you need to do to get those to a customers so so what i mean by a customers is that are they buying from you monthly are they, are they you know, do they have jobs is it um are they the decision makers loads of different areas and just keep reviewing your business because customers that I might have worked with in January could have been on my D list by by I know, March or April because they maybe not have been hiring or they weren't the right quality. And I think timing 
your time is so, so precious on that side. So really understanding, you know, are your clients buying? Do they do they really value what you're doing? And can you deliver? You know, there's no point working jobs that you don't really know what you're talking about because, you know, that's that, you know, they you're gonna you're gonna lose your relationship there that from that side. Okay, so so let's just talk about time quickly. Because uh, this is something that a lot of people like. You just said you were juggling a lot of things there, right? Yeah. Um, and I think as recruiters, that that's something that you have to just try and improve at consistently. Yeah. Um. So I guess from a sort of from from you sort of becoming a um a successful contract builder, I guess people want to know like how you how you run your day to get the most out of it. So you're talking about it there, like your yeah. your time is really precious, which is where this yeah. question comes from and why why people want to know it so like from from your journey like what again what became your sort of typical day or what did you do day in day out to make sure that you maximized your time sure so the first thing i'd say is the best recruiters permanent contract doesn't matter where who you know what markets you're focusing on keep it simple like they don't overcomplicate okay. it and you know um the amount of times that I've, when I was mentoring or when I was managing and leading um, the division is that people were overcomplicating it all the times. And really, you've just got to have a real like a checklist every day, every single day before you go is like, what do you want to achieve from that day? So it could be you know, follow ups, first markets, calls, leads to chase, whatever it is. But having a real understanding of like, what do I need to get my business to? to what does my business need tomorrow? So, you know, if you're focused on 180, how many more candidates do I need to get at interview stage to put myself in a position to hit my target this month? And if you're more business development focus is how many more vacancies or how many new customers do I need to develop and bring in so that I can hit my target on that side? So that's the two fundamentals, right? And what sits underneath that is all of the stuff that we've already spoke about, whether it's, you know, how do you build a business? Well, you know, that's, that's or how do you build, how do you get candidates? You know, it's building relationships and, on the, and, and speaking, speaking to them. So, Keeping it simple, so I know, and, and like I said, it's it's so important because I've worked with some really, really intelligent people, so so intelligent people, and the amount of times I've gone into a meeting and then said like, where, where's your, where is your day plan? Like, where is what do you want to achieve today? Now, what does your business need? And they can't answer it because they're just it's just so on top of them. And once you take it back and you simplify what it is your business needs or what it is whatever, you know, business business requirements on that side, then you can make a checklist and then you can really have a tangible conversation with your manager and say, listen, my business ain't needs this. Any good manager will will challenge you um, and hopefully point you in a direction, but also you both agree that that is the right way to go. But also more importantly is that I, I was coming up with the answers. You know, I wasn't going to my manager and going, I've got this problem. I don't know what to do. It's like going away and thinking about it. So simplifying it, having a strict process in regards to what you're focusing on for your day. And the only time you should move away from that day plan or process is that you've got a client or an interview that's fallen through and you need to get back to, to focusing on supplying that candidate but, or supplying that vacancy at that time. But but yeah, it's, 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 I know, it, I know it, it sounds easier said than done don't get me wrong because everyone knows that but it's just simplifying everything that you do and just having a good checklist of what you want to achieve and what your business needs amazing and and look i'm asking this because people want to know 
Yeah, sure. Like what? So at the at the height of uh, the height of when you were doing really well, like I'm sure yeah. you know it because it's rinse and repeat. But like, what? Just talk me through like a a typical day plan for sure. Dan, like because yeah, people want to know it. First thing in the morning would be going through um, any responses um, from adverts or LinkedIn responses that I would have sent out the night before in regards to focus it uh, for the jobs that I've got live. Uh, next one would be then business development calls, like straight straight into it um, with an available. Let, wait, let's just let's just, let's add times. Sorry, let's just add times. Just, yeah, just sure. it will just, just make it really clear because people people love this, mate. People want to know. So, yeah, where, sure. what time to so start responses? What time do you get in, and then what time do you dedicate uh, in, to responses? Yeah, about eight o'clock in the morning, between quarter to eight and eight o'clock in the morning. Um, Straight away looking through, to be honest, I used to do a lot of that on my phone. So when I was when I was traveling in, my travel journey was about 40 minutes. I'd be looking at responses, making notes, sending emails to myself for reminders um, and calendar invites for, for myself to focus on when I get in. And then I'd walk through the door, uh, breakfast, and then, and then straight into it. I would have a, a list of clients or prospects that I want to speak to. Once I've gone through, like I said, the initial uh, candidates, et cetera, I would then be on the phone at quarter to uh, half eight quarter to nine at the very latest speaking to um to clients and pitching in leads reverse markets what, what whatever leads i've got to follow up from that would normally take me well it would take me as long as long as i needed you know um if if i needed business i'd do it all day that, that would be it i'd be doing it all day and that wouldn't be just calling clients that would be calling candidates asking what what are they up to clients that i've got relationships new candidates that I'm focusing on because I needed vacancies. So the best way to do that is to talk, is to reach out to people and understand that. Um, if I had vacancies in the afternoon that I'd work on, I'd then from two till um, like two till five be focusing on supplying those those vacancies. Like, you know, and then getting leads, market intel, anything that I need for the morning or the evening, whatever it is, having that ready to go. And then at five o'clock, um, in any administration, reverse markets go out the door, day plan, um, and that's it. And then go again. And then, of course, the next day I might have four urgent vacancies. Business development um, would be less. I'd only do sort of an hour, hour or two hours just to follow up my leads to keep keep it ticking over and then focus on um, supporting candidates. But every single day was business development, whether I was talking to candidates or clients. And I think that's where some people get it wrong is that, you know, whether you're 180 or whether you're 360, it's so important that you're still retaining information from people and you're either giving that to the relevant people in your business that are more focused on sales or you make a note and you action it later on down the line, whether that's later in the day or, or the next, or, or the following um, following day. But so, so important. It doesn't matter what level you are, whether you're one day in or 10 years in, you should be business developing every single day of the week. Uh, whatever level you are yeah no it's great i think you you yeah it's i've had a guy on here called nick carmen before and he the way he coins it is like yeah always be open for business instead yeah. of like putting the sort of blinders on between 10 and 12 you're just doing business development and then when you're doing two till five candidates like you've got again the blinders on and you're just focusing on their reasons for leaving rather than asking about the projects they have on and like it's stuff like that right so yeah I love that. So just, just really thanks for sharing that. Cause, cause that's what people want to find out. So I guess what, um, before we move on to the, the sort of, um, the sort of uh, non-billing journey that you yeah. went on re really quickly, cause Pete, this just helps with like how you went on your journey. So 
What, what, what ended up being your best year Billings-wise as a contract recruiter? Uh, Billings' year was about, it was just under 800. Um, so it was about... Was seven, your best year? Yeah, best year. It's about 765, something like that. I think that was 2015. Um, so the year okay. year before I went non-billing. And then, and then just, and then this ties into the question, but, and then, I don't know, the sort of years leading up to that, what did yeah. the sort of performance look like? Um, so over that period, so the first, so like I said, June to um, December was my, my first half, I suppose, like three months of that I'd done, I think it was like three or four deals um, in that period. Most of those were December. Um, so that was like, of course, 2011, but that gave me that confidence and that momentum coming into 2012. That first year was about 275. Um, that was from a, a fairly standing start. The clients that I worked in December actually didn't have much repeat business. So that was sort of new, new projects. Um, and then second year was um, funny enough, me and Ryan Adams at the time were going toe to toe to like he'll remember that story as well. I uh, in, in a, I think it was January, February, I um I was talking to a client that was uh, at the time gonna big big, uh, big project that needed a number of people and um i had a good candidate base and i supplied a number of candidates and, and, and in like february i think i've done 104k um which wow. was like so i've sort of uh, set it out pretty early on which i'm really proud of you know from that side yeah, that was sort of breaking records in, in regards to what the business knew and um i suppose putting that bar to the next level you know um from that side but Still saying very grounded, you know, I, w- I wanted to be top biller. Um, that's what I looked at from day one. Um, and I know Ryan was keen to get that top biller status as well. So, and I'll say it on the record, he pipped me on the last day by about 3K, but we went toe to toe literally right to the end. And um, so that was good. And then that set me up. And then the year after um, was about 6.95. So actually I, did, I had my best year was 2012 to 20, 2013. I added about 300k to my business, and then 2014 was I, I done 690, um, which was about another 125, 130 from the year before, and then like I said, in 2015 was seven mid set mid 700. So, um, so yeah, so it was a really good natural progression forward. Um, but yeah, no, it was, it was good fun. Good fun. No, fa- thanks for sharing that. And and the re- the reason why I ask isn't isn't to try and sort of get you to show off your numbers. But the most popular question I get is like, if you and I'm sure you've had this with your guys now when we talk, talk about the non-billing piece. But like recruiters want to know how to how to take it up a notch, right? Because yeah. a lot of recruiters may look at the end of the year. It's like, wow, I've had a good year. Last yeah. year I did 150k just did 200k but a lot of people may think right how the hell am I going to squeeze like how am I going to get more out of what what I currently have do you get what I mean um yeah so so I guess just the final thing on this is like looking back at that and you can sort of reference maybe things that you see with people that you've helped and stuff like that but the most common thing people know is like what what do you think were the sort of main one to two things that you did differently maybe you didn't do anything differently but like what were the sort of core things that you really doubled down on that you really felt meant that you was able to continue increasing your performance and yeah, grow that to, to nearly 800, hundred K billions. Like what, what did you really double down on that you really felt enabled you to achieve that? I think the first thing is I didn't overcomplicate it. You know, I, I really, from that side, I, I knew what I wanted to do. I set, I set a goal out at the start of the year and I wanted, I had to hit it. There was no, there was no other way um, because of 
where I want to be in my life and what, what I want to achieve, there wasn't room for, well, you know, I've had a good year. That's just not not in my makeup, in my DNA um, to, to be on that side. And, and that's just me as a person. You know, I'm, I'm either all in or all out, you know, and if I'm all in, I'm going to put it at the start of the year that, listen, I need to hit that, that goal. So whether or not I had 50% to do that in, in three months or, or 10% over that, I had to hit that goal. Anything over that was, was an achievement in my eyes. Anything, if I hit that, that was where I needed to be. That wasn't an achievement in my eyes. You know, I, I'd, I'd hit what I needed to hit. But overachieving that, that was when then I thought, you know what, yeah, it's, it's a good year. You know, I'll take that on board. So having high expectations of yourself, not looking at anyone else. You know, of course, you've got, I had great peers around me that we, we would work together on, on, on different elements to it. But compete with yourself. That's the key thing. Look at yourself and think, right, what can I do? Can I, can I push myself? Can I get better at converting leads? Um, can I get better at my ratio in regards to interviews? Whatever it is. And if you just look at yourself, you don't overcomplicate because you're not really, you know, great. You know, someone's done a 40K that's going to drive you on, but you, you're competing with yourself on that side in, in, in your own way. Of course, recruitment, athlete tables and stuff like that. But, um, you know, naturally when you see people get to the top, um, they can they can drop off. I've seen it. People will drop off because they've got no one to compete to. But if you're competing mm. against yourself, then you, you know you can just keep progression. And I know it sounds simple, but it's like literally just pushing yourself all the time um, and relating back to your goals. Like one of the best builders recently, um, who's still at console now, he has his goals. He writes his goals out every single day, every single day without doubt. He has his goals set out what he wants to achieve. He's not really focused on what other people are doing. I think that's such an important trait um, in any sales environment, not no, recruiting anything, not just sales in life. You know, stay, you know, focus on what you can do, you know, and, and, and achieve where, where you can focus on and control. Okay. Final thing. Again, people want to know the answer to this. I think yeah. a lot of people want to know this sort of secret source, but yeah, or like this sort of gold, golden, golden bullet, but obviously it, it doesn't exist. It's a multiple things, but like people want to know, you spoke about keeping it simple and, and yeah. these things. So what do you think is the, the most important action or KPI that, that contributes to a recruiter's success? Well, deals, right? <laughs> you know, like it's, it's, it's this, you know, that again, keeping it simple. Like if, you know, you as a sales individual, like sales, I'm talking collectively, you know, any, any elements within a sales environment, you are, you know, your commission is based on sales. Progression is is, is eighty to ninety percent based on sales in in a sales environment. So, I suppose the first one again, you, you can look at interviews, but how many deals have I done? Or what? How many deals have you done? You know, that's the first thing. Is like that naturally, of course, from a agency point of view, is that that you can judge on your success. Um, from that side and i don't know if that's the answer you wanted to but again it's simple it's you know it's, it deals from that side it's i think i think it's it's the bit before that right so i guess it's the bit where you're talking about keeping it simple so i guess people want to know like going into a brand new month it's like right yeah. if i know if i get i don't know if i know if i have x meaningful conversations with potential clients i should hit yeah. my number or yeah I don't know if I if I get X number of in, like X number of interviews, first stage interviews. I know I'm yeah. confident. It's just people want to yeah, know like yeah, where to really double down on the action. Yeah, I think the the taking one step back, of course, is 
you know, any successful um, individual within a recruiting recruiting space will know will know their numbers. Like what what are their sweet spots? And if you don't know their sweet spots, then that's really important that you talk to your manager or your director and and you carve that out together and you really understand what what is what what, what, what are your sweet, sweet numbers. It changes, right? Because you're hoping that they they decrease over a while because you get more effective, right? Because your clients get more effective. But you know, when I started, for example, I was averaging, um, and my my way of doing it, I wasn't very good on uh, with emails and reverse market. I, I enjoyed phone interactions or like face. So I was doing anything between three and three and four and a half hours a day on the phone. You know, like naturally, that's right. where, where I needed to be. Some of them were pointless conversations. They probably could say I could definitely be more focused on on uh, um, on that area. But for me, that's what worked. You know that what you know that for me, that's what got me to where I needed to be. But you know, for for example, um, naturally, five vacancies a week, fifteen to sixteen submissions a week, um, and eight interviews. If I got that, I would be on to four or five contract deals a month you know and people would say and this was going back to sort of 2012 2013 you know and maybe i could reduce that but that's where you would look at you with your manager and um uh, they were really big on that console is what can you tweak what can you do so those are the types of ratios you know two to one ratio in anything you're trying to do yeah no thank you for sharing that so right. let's um con- conscious of time but let, let's get into the sort of towards the tail end because I think this is what also I know we've focused a lot on recruiting but a lot of recruiters listen to this and I yeah. think what you shared is, is really interesting for people so I guess like why didn't would you mind just sort of sharing I guess look what we wanted to go over when we spoke about this was like one how you how you felt like you got the opportunity presented to you to get sort of equity shares in a recruitment business yeah, yeah. um so let's talk a bit about this before we finish, because I think most aspirational recruitment recruiters that listen to this will either maybe one day think about potentially starting their own recruitment business or yeah. typically it's they want to be a director in the company they work for and maybe sort of get the opportunity to own part of that company or et cetera. Yeah. So let's just start there. So one, like, why don't we talk about why do you think Dan Cox was able to get the opportunity to get offered equity shares in this recruitment business? rather than your peers because as you said super competitive landscape yeah. there's great people in there why why was you able to do that firstly um so i'll get i'll get graham and mark on the phone see if they can <laughs> <answer>. <laughs> um no i think they were very good in regards to where um like looking after top performers and and, and trying to i suppose lock them in you know towards the company vision and the company goal that wasn't without saying that I asked a question, you know, again, like I mentioned earlier on about when I'd done my first deal, I, I sort of, uh, I knocked on the door one day and um, I said, what, what opportunities are you within the business? But again, I'd never worked in, in a company, like, you know, a recruitment company before. So, you know, naively going into there and saying, what, what is the opportunity to be part of this journey more longer term, you know, and, and that side. So they went away and, and talk about a few things. So a lot of it was down when, to- When did you do that? um probably around 2015 2015 time i picked my time right because i was i was i was feeling good numbers um you know i think that you'd, you'd have a tougher conversation if you weren't performing and you went in and asked for shares for your company so you have to get the timing right um but yeah around that time and and for me i wanted to be more 
part of the part of the uh, business and the opportunity. I, I really I love that business still today. Um, and for me, I wanted to be part of it, you know, and, and however that looked, whatever that looked, that was down to the owners at the time to 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 keep that focused. And also probably on their side, they 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 were aware of. I suppose how you know where I want to be in my life at some point you know what I, what I want to achieve um in in the recruiting industry you know and and that's really important that you know they maybe saw that so you know from that time timing was key asking the question again that you've got to be speaking to your to your managers uh, apologies to any managers that might be getting bombarded by recruiters next week but I think it's really important that you you know as a business you want to understand what opportunities on the table you know to be part of that um, that, that growth model um, from that side. So yeah, yeah so that's, yeah. that's really important. Yeah, no, I'm glad you, like, honestly, this, this keeps coming up time and time again. Like if you're listening to this and, and you have leverage, yeah. right? And not, not you don't have, like you're you're someone that you think can add a lot of value to the, to the business you work for long-term. You really enjoy working there. You're bought into what it's about. Like ask the question, like literally, yeah. like why, why, yeah. So the worst case scenario is, no not at this time or whatever but at least yeah. you're you're making them you're making people aware that's what you want right so when your sort of managers or business owners start thinking about right how how can we grow this business how can we keep our best people oh you know yeah. what dan actually reached out to me three months ago and said look if there's an opportunity to own part of this company be part of it longer term like count me in or at least consider me so like if you're listening to this and you haven't like, asked the question like yeah, the worst sure. case scenario is not a bad thing so i'm glad you said that, but I guess the next thing that I wanted to ask you, Dan, was because I think sometimes recruiters, when I've spoken to them, they can be a bit sort of blindsided by this or just don't have complete clarity on what it actually means, right? So mm-hmm. when we say you end up getting offered equity shares, like, could you just share sort of with people listening, like, one, what does it actually mean? And two, like, what sort of tip? I know it may be specific to your circumstances and what happened, but like, typically, you can talk about your experience, but like, tip, what what did that mean, and what sort of things had to sort of happen for you to really reap the rewards of yeah. actually having equity shares in the business? So I think not many people are completely clear on this. Yeah, absolutely. So equity is actually having registered, I suppose, shares with with the organisation. So you you know you're part of the dividends payments on the profits for for the organisation from that side. And I think really important when I when I was first offered those, it was a really proud moment for me because um, it felt like I was actually part of the vision and the business. And I think that's so key in regards to natural progression. You know, it, it gave it another another focus point. You know, I'm actually a shareholder of this multi million pound organisation. Um, I need to be making sure that I am focusing on bringing the next level of staff through and I suppose positioning myself that it can be achieved like you know I'm not, I'm not nothing special from anyone else you know like I mentioned earlier asking the question from that side so equity shares are a little bit tougher to get hold of of course because um, there's various constraints that you need to be aware there's EMI schemes as well um, that companies and a lot of good companies now are, are, are offering that out and I think the way that you position it and you, and you talk to you know your your uh, managers or directors and saying I'm, I'm really bought into the vision you know which you are because you're, you're sitting there and you're working it and you're succeeding um, but I want to understand the future growth of this business and um, and understand if I can be part of it and there's it, it sounds like it could be a negative conversation sometimes but 
the amount of um, like the positive response, and I can only talk on my behalf, but um, the positive response I got from it was like, I love it, love it that you want to be part of our business, you know, and you're you're not thinking about anything else. And they they were open arms about it and um, and said, yeah, let's let's try and make this work. We'll, we'll come back to you, and that was it. So you know, it was all round time on that side, but there are various ways that you can be part of the business, of course, and. It does feel special. It is nice when you're part of the business and, you know, if you have a good positive year and, and profits are higher, of course, like any shareholder, you can buy shares tomorrow in any company, you get, you reap the rewards of, of the of, of dividends and et cetera. But um, you just, more, more importantly, I felt part of of the of the story, you know, and, and that, that was really important to me at that time that um, where I wanted to be. Yeah, cool. To get that, completing that, that's great. Thank you for sharing that. So I guess... So you've spoken about, yeah, being able to, as an employee, um, you wouldn't get obviously access to the profits of the overall business, right? From dividends, et cetera. But sort of to really benefit from the equity piece and having equity shares, like just just really simply, what what was best case scenario? So you guys ended up getting um acquired, but like just for people listening, so they can have a bit of an understanding of right. So if I'm able to, yeah, try and uh, potentially have, um, yeah, become a shareholder or get on some sort of scheme, mm. what, what, what's, if you could just explain, like, just from your experience and what you went through, yeah. what yeah. was the best case scenario? What events had to happen for you to really benefit from becoming a shareholder? Yeah, I think, I think that's a really good question. Um, shares are in, in a business, for example, outside of dividends and stuff like that and profitability, you know, shares are only really valuable if the company has a real focus and vision on um, being acquired one day, you know, because you could be a shareholder, but it, they're pretty outside of being part of the business and the vision. They're pretty, you know, pointless if if the company's not really got a, the management or the, the directors that own that place haven't got a focus on 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 selling. You know, at some point, acquiring and stuff like that. So, again, you need to speak to you know either the owners or your manager and understand what is the vision plan. You know, like um, from that business, um, so that you can support that focus. Um, but yeah, that, I suppose that that's the key bit is that you know really understanding what the, what the vision is for the business, um, and then once you are acquired, what does that mean? You know, because of course, acquiring a business normally means that they want to take that business to the next level it doesn't mean are they just going to cash out and and leave it's like what do they want to do next they want to expand into six more countries globally they want to they want to build out the u.s market whether that's contract or permanent they want to become a global staffing provider you know from from that side so um and sometimes the directors don't have experience in doing that you know and that's why they need to go to that that you know that next level up and saying listen for, for part of my business can you help us get to the next level so yeah that's a, that's a big driver of course with equity that you know if the company does go through a purchase then you know however small they are then you know their share those shares will be realized at some point yeah no good thanks for yeah no thanks for going through that because i think sometimes people can sort of get confused by that and i think the, the other yeah. point to make which is again quite quite popular and common and we've had a couple of people go through this on the podcast is, is then the sort of management buyout route right where yeah. again it's it's actually then the the way that the, the original founders or owners of the company get out is by actually selling the company to over to p 
people that have been there for a long time, etc. Right. Yeah. So I think that, that what what sort of Dan's sharing here with you all is that it's about asking the question. It's about communicating. It's about understanding where the business is going. And if you ask those questions and they're willing to have those conversations, then yeah, you can really actually understand what yeah things could actually mean and and what the positive outcomes mm-hmm. could be. And yeah, so thank you. So. I've got, before I ask you sort of five final questions, I just want to ask you one thing. So what, what advice would you give yourself, um, to, to Dan Cox just entering the recruitment industry? So I I just want to know from what you've been through, right. Um, if you could communicate and have a conversation with with Dan Cox, who first day in recruitment after a couple of days, graduating uni, what, what would you, what would you say to yourself? Um, don't sweat the small things. I think that uh, massive like I used to let I used to let the smallest of things in my day affect me for you know a couple of hours you know and um, I think that's massive you know you, at some point you've just got to soak it up push on a little affect you you know that that you can't most of the time you can't change a certain outcome if that's where it is um, but you can um, you can change the end result and I think that's really important to understand you know yet a candidate for example might have dropped out or might have you know offer reject you still got that vacancy or you still got that client and um go and find someone that that is focused on that so yeah definitely that one for sure uh don't switch one it's, it's a good question because i'd tell myself to run as well no i'm joking I wouldn't <laughs> um, no i'm joking I, I love the industry no, i can't i wouldn't i wouldn't, I wouldn't be doing anything else but um and i think really really get to know your market um really know where your market's going um so that you can have earlier tangible conversations because probably for the first three four months um i was going in um a little bit blindsided in in regards to speaking to to some great people and but they probably thought that and i did sound probably fairly junior so just a little bit of research you know understanding your market and a little bit more so they're probably the two key things Nice. So last, last questions for you. So first one, if you could change the industry, what would you improve? Um, I think the key one is be proud of being a recruiter. Yeah. I I used to do it as well is that I'd be around certain individuals that had, you know, amazing sounding jobs, you know, like stockbrokers or insurance brokers and I'd say, what, what do you do? Recruitment. And I think at times I used to be a little bit embarrassed about that. And I don't know why, because if you actually look at the industry and what it and what it supports and what it means is all the good parts. Of course, I know there are some bad parts of, of, of the industry from that side. But I think definitely people be proud of, of working in the industry because I think it, it adds so much value, not just to the economy, to companies, to businesses um from that side so yeah definitely don't what don't do what i had done and, and be you know i'm not i suppose it's just a little bit embarrassed when i was there earlier on because the job sounded a little bit uh, a bit better whatever a bit more interesting but actually you think about what you do as a recruiter day in day out um it's pretty cool yeah next one what what book have you read that has had the biggest impact on you if you don't read could be a podcast. No, you know what? That was got my goals. The last probably two or three years, like really um, focusing on reading books, like Rich Dad, Poor Dad, by far mm. in regards to, you probably hear that a lot, right? But that really impacted, um, and probably a bit cliche as well, really impacted 
my relationship with with money um and focusing on assets that can provide cash flow um to support the future because of course my you know i know what i can do with recruitment but no one can control for example the economy and where that's going to be but if you've got cash flowing assets from that side and using your money um then hopefully later on in life um you know that that you should be fairly set up on that side so yeah that was a, a massive massive influence into where i focus my time and, and outside of recruiting as well nice bit of a different one this one what what did you spend your first biggest commission paycheck on? Uh, for me, myself, yeah, because I think my wife probably got the first big, big. Um, <laughs> yeah, just, just, there's always normally sort of not always, but sometimes there's a typical sort of memorable um, thing that you ended yeah, up buying. Um, probably, yeah, probably my um, my Range Rover. So, like, um, I went out and got it probably about two years in into the business i'd always dream of having it it's my dream car i, I love i love that like range rover sports it's just uh, ever since even when i was at uni i used to say to my uni friends and fudge it i'm going to drive one of them i used to like see it and, oh, I just, you know I used, i'm going to drive one of them and they used to laugh and say listen you're, you're massively overdrawn you've got loads of debt what are you going on about range rovers and um, <laughs> yeah that was that was an amazing feeling being you know getting into that car for the first time and um and I, i'd achieve that you know, no one else. I'd achieved that, and um, yeah, it was great, amazing. Even though it was a depreciation asset, it was just you know one of the things that I'd always wanted early on. You know? Yeah, no, I love that. Last question, and look, this yeah. this this may be something that you're sort of sort of working through now and stuff, but just still interested. I guess what's the sort of ult- I typically ask, what's the ultimate goal for your recruitment career? Or you can sort of answer that just your career. Now, what comes up for you? What's the ultimate goal for your career? Giving back 100%. Um, I want to be able to be in a position at some point in my career where I can give advice, offload experiences of what I've done well, what I've not done so well from, um, and having that platform to um, be able to give back to the industry um, in whatever, whatever shape or form that is. Um, it's definitely given back. Nice, love that, Dan. I'm, I'm, I'm sure there's loads more that we could go into, but I thought that was <laughs> brilliant. I think you've been on a great, great journey, and um, really excited for people to to listen to this. So, fa- thanks a lot for for coming on the show. No, no worries. Thank you. Anytime. Been a pleasure. Well done on making it to the very end of the episode. I hope you enjoyed it. I've done my very best to try and level up this podcast that will hopefully mean that you can take even more learnings from these conversations and apply it to your own recruitment career. Like always, if there are any particular topics that you would love me to cover with future guests, then please get in touch with me. The best place to reach me is on LinkedIn. Send me a message. What would you love me to cover with future guests? And if you have enjoyed the podcast, then it would be amazing if you could leave a honest review in your favorite podcast streaming platform. That will simply mean that we're able to reach more people with this podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. And don't forget to subscribe completely free on your favorite podcast streaming platforms. And we'll be back next week with a new episode of the Recruitment Mentors Podcast.